Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to marry, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no opportunity for reviling. For some have already turned aside after Satan. 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 15. Welcome back once again to the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and I am joined by someone very special to me. Nate and Joe are not with me today, uh, but uh, I am uh, very pleased to have Rachel Aris. Yes, related. Rachel is my wife, and uh, longtime listeners of this uh, this show will remember her from a couple of years back. Uh, she's uh, she's appeared a couple of times, and we are very pleased to have her on again. Uh, welcome. Thank you. So lately, uh, lately, uh, you've had a couple of opportunities to to speak at some. Uh, some events, a couple of uh, women's conferences and other other venues. And your theme has been something along, and I'm, this is these are my words, these are not your words, but the theme has been something along the lines of how even in reformed, biblically minded uh, circles, the satanic doctrines of feminism have, crept in and have become a temptation and how sort of historically from a worldview perspective uh, they are the uh, they're in the air we breathe and the water we swim in and you've just been drawing attention to to the way that those have been influencing contemporary women as well as men and how to uh, how to respond to that from a from a, a strong stance on scripture and also where where it goes wrong uh, historically theologically uh, anthropologically just considering what a human being is yeah and I I um, I think that it it starts with just being I'm a I am a wife and I am a mother so just uh, just through studying, through reading in my own sanctification and life, um, it it doesn't take very long on that journey before you realize that there are a lot of lies that come directly from feminism that we have we as women as Christian women have swallowed. So the my my desire to to talk about this um is directly related to my own 
my own life and my own desire to live well as a Christian woman and realizing this is such a problem for us. Mm -hmm. It is such a problem for young Christian women who are studying and who, you know, are listening to the right podcasts and reading the right authors, but who are not necessarily seeing um, where they have ingested some of the poison and, uh, yeah, so this this is a big problem for us because we don't realize how entrenched uh, we are in in the lies of feminism. And one of the reasons that I wanted you to to come on this show is that this subject is is not so niche as uh, as it might appear at first glance. Like I want to, all of our male listeners to stay tuned in on this week because this is not something that is that is just for women, that is just affecting women, or that is, uh, that only has, has implications for how women ought to live and conduct themselves. And one of the, uh, one of the places, or the place that I want to start, one of the things that, one of the, the causes of confusion maybe, is that, again, reformed, in many ways, right-thinking Christians will will see the fruits of modern contemporary feminism and say no like see that that is very clearly unbiblical but then they they'll sort of take a superficial glance back through history and think oh yeah feminism come came in waves and first wave feminism and uh, women's suffrage and the right to vote like we can uh, we can get behind that there were some some real problems for women that uh, that feminism fixed, but you're here to say it ain't necessarily so. Yeah, it's uh, we have no problem as reformed Christians to reject abortion. Of course, we you have talked about critical race theory and in- intersectionality and all of these things, but we we just don't see that. We could not have gotten here, the screaming women's marches, the angry, nasty women, all of that stuff. You don't get that if you don't have the first wave to build on. So it really is, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of revisionist history happening or just a, a lack of knowledge about the, the early waves um, so like a wi- a willful revisionism or a willful ignorance about yeah and it, it's just not something we um we we just don't talk about it it's very obvious when we're looking at something like abortion now or you know critical race theory now we can see the obvious problems but we just don't see it when when it's uh, simplified and boiled down to oh Susan B Anthony women's right to vote these are not this is not a problem we don't have a problem with women voting and if that's all if that's all it is if that's all we've ever heard um, then of course it's like well it's not a problem we we can accept that mm-hmm. so let's say uh, you mentioned Susan B Anthony that's probably if it's not a household name it's at least a name that you know, will remember from ninth grade civics, but let's uh, let's park there for a little bit. Talk about the uh, 
Susan B. Anthony, talk about some of these other figures, talk about the origins and, uh, I guess, key principles and, uh, and assumptions of first wave feminism specifically. Yeah, so um, nothing is ever built without a foundation. Um, you can you can go back to Mary Wollstonecraft, who was sort of your proto-feminist in the 1700s. Um, is that the author of Frankenstein? No, I think it wasn't. It's her daughter, Mary Shelley, right, um, right. is the author. Yeah. So this is uh, Mary Shelley's mother. Um, but you, you've got that first in the UK, um, and in, uh, in 1820, Susan B. Anthony is born in 1820. So after Mary, uh, Mary Shelley has just published Frankenstein. Um, and so, who is Susan B. Anthony? So Susan B. Anthony, she is, she is really the one, I think she's probably one of the biggest names you'll you'll come across um, when when talking about first wave feminism. You also have Emma Goldman and um, Elizabeth Stanton and Sanger, all of these people, all of these names are familiar. But Susan B. Anthony is, uh, she's well known for her work. Um, she, she was involved in abolition early on, um, but she, her, her two things are, um, women's suffrage and prohibition. Those were her two, her two big things. Um, she was actually born into a Quaker family, uh, but ended her life as a committed agnostic. Um, but she got connected with Elizabeth Stanton, who, um, they, they're sort of the dynamic duo. They're this this team, Stanton was the one who, uh, he, she wrote The Solitude of Self, but she was actually the mother of seven children. Susan B. Anthony never married or had children, so she was the one who um, was sort of the face of first wave feminism early on. She was the face of the the, the suffragette movement early on. Um, so the these are... This is where I think we also get we get tripped up. Um, Rebecca Merkel in Even Exile, which is a really, really helpful and worthwhile read for everyone, men and women. Um, she she uses a really helpful metaphor. So we we hear that Susan B. Anthony is about you know the women's right to vote and the temperance movement, and we think. We have no problem with women voting. Christian women should vote. Um, so we get we get off track because there seems to be superficial agreement about certain social problems. Mm-hmm. So, like Susan B. Anthony, I am against slavery. Um, I think drunk fathers coming home and beating their wives and children is a very bad thing. It's a net loss. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not for it. Um, So we think, oh, because we dislike the same things, we must agree. But this is a totally superficial agreement, and we are not agreed on the whys and the hows. So uh, Rebecca Merkel uses just a really helpful um, 
uh, metaphor in her book where she talks about, you know, if we both want to go to England, um, we can be agreed on that. We both want to go to England. But one of us gets into a baggage trolley and the other one gets onto a plane. We're, we're not going to achieve the same end because we're not going the same way. Um, the other example she gives is, um, you know, we can agree uh, with someone on um, being against abortion, but we would not agree that we should blow up abortion clinics and m- kill the doctors. Um, so just just being aware of that, yes, we can absolutely say with confidence, God hates when drunk fathers come home and beat their families. Um, we can say that with confidence. We can say that um, women have value. We can say all of these things. We can agree um, on those on those things. Um, but we we hold those beliefs because we have the standard of Scripture, and we hold fast to what God says is true in the Bible. Um, if you want to have anything other than the word of God as your standard, you have no authority to say men shouldn't beat women and children. Where do you get that from? So these early waves, um, a lot of them are Quakers. um, And they'll, they'll, they'll refer to God. They acknowledge a creator, but almost immediately they go off the rails on, um, and and read scripture very poorly this is something that we just have to get into our heads and this is a place where i think we we get easily muddled where you know as soon as we we have no problem with certain you know biblical instructions or commands um to overlook offenses to love one another but the second we step into this realm we have been so catechized by feminism that we think we're exempt because it's a wife talking to her husband so she now no longer needs to overlook offenses so this is what they're doing right from the beginning um it is self-serving and self-exalting it's being your own advocate it's demanding that Mm somebody protect you it's demanding it's very selfish it's um insisting that you are a victim and that your rights and needs must be met and taken care of it it ignores the fact that um that christ will um bring justice that he will repay um, and it's taking it upon yourself. And I think that's something that's consistent through all the waves of feminism, this idea mm. of women um, taking it upon themselves to to be the voice for their own rights. So hold, I, I hold that thought. I mean, I'm interested in that, but you mentioned that uh, on the one hand, of course, it ignores the fact that God is the one who works justice. But if I, if I am a victim, th- then I can't, uh, if I am advocating for myself, I don't, there's some, in some sense, I don't have the power to set things right. And I, I'm, I'm seeing something that we talk about on this show often, this, 
this idea, this mentality throws the door wide open for a, uh, a welcoming attitude towards bit more and bigger government. Yeah. And that is, that is definitely the case. A bigger Um, and larger state, I should say. Right. So, um, there, you guys talk about sphere sovereignty all the time. Um, we talk about other things. (laughs) Maybe a little, um, No, so we've got we've got um, God ordained spheres, um, these authority structures. He has given, he has delegated authority to certain specific people within these spheres, and when you take away, when you either either it, the responsibility um, is taken away from that God given authority or it's abdicated by that authority, it doesn't mean that the needs that that authority was in place to meet go away. So um, husbands and fathers were told by God to care for their families, to provide for them, to love them, to clothe them, um, all of these things. If men are not doing a good job with that, that doesn't mean that women don't need caring for. If women don't want their husbands and fathers um, taking care of them, it doesn't mean that they don't need caring for. You cannot deny, no matter how much you try and how much they're trying right now, women are, for the most part, weaker. <laughs> this is a mm-hmm. well-known fact that everybody's trying to pretend isn't. But um the average man is stronger than the average woman. This is this is the way God designed it. If And if you go to any sporting event, you know, <laughs> uh, below the high profile ones, you will see this. Yeah. We, we drove we drive past a couple of golf courses on the way to church and you can always see the men's tee and the ladies tee. Yeah, it's these are these are just realities of life. Um so if you've got, you know, and then there's the the obvious uh, a woman has um you know, a monthly reminder of her god-given fertility that she can't actually escape, or if she's going to, she has to do all this crazy stuff to be free of it, which we can talk about um, in a minute. Mm -hmm. But just the fact that there are, you know, a woman is, um, without taking outside extra steps, um, will get pregnant if she has sex most of the time. You know, there are obviously exceptions to this, but this is the way it is, which means that, you know, women cannot ignore it. Um, they are weaker. They can't always defend themselves. These are these are realities. So if a woman has thrown off the the um, the care of a husband, she is going to have to have somebody else step in and do that. So this is where you have from early on um, feminism demanding the government fill in 
where they felt men had failed. They're not happy with how their husbands are voting. They're not happy with how their husbands are acting. So for first wave feminism, the reason that uh, Anthony was all about the right to vote as well as temperance is that they wanted women to win the vote so that they could outlaw alcohol. Those two things are um, inseparable in their minds. So the plan is, you know, get rid of get rid of the husband's control over the family and replace it with a government that we can control, right? So mm-hmm. big government mm-hmm. and the rise of big government is, yeah, you just, you can't remove it from feminism. They, they rise together and uh, very deliberately. And you've, uh, you've mentioned uh a couple of times in a couple of contexts here, um, the issue of abortion and of uh, a woman's natural fruitfulness and fertility and the question of uh, birth control. That's, uh, that's something as well that, that was sort of part and parcel of, of the feminist mindset from early on. Is that right? Yeah. So we start with, right, so we're talking about the 1800s, um, birth control has not been invented yet, but you've got um, you've got first wave feminists, you know, the lovely, charming people who gave us women's suffrage are saying things like marriage condemns women to lifelong dependency and uselessness, both individually and socially. That's Emma Goldman, who is Margaret Sanger's mentor. You've got Um, Stanton unable to go out and do the the speaking and traveling that Anthony does. So Elizabeth Stanton is at home writing with her big family. Um, And you've got uh, you've got Anthony out um, firing. I think I can't remember the quote now. Stanton said, I forged the thunderbolts, she threw them. So Anthony becomes the face of this, but it's actually Stanton who is doing a lot of the thinking and writing. Mm. Stanton struck obey from her marriage vows. Um, She did not believe she should discipline her children. She was a Quaker, but she did not believe that she should impart her beliefs to her children. So her, her boys, her older boys were known to be terrors to their neighbors. They would throw rocks and curse at them. So she sent them off to boarding school to be somebody else's problem. Hmm. So from the earliest stages, you have a very low view of motherhood. Right. And of marriage. And um, Anthony says... And it's I, a humanistic kind of perspective as well. Like, oh, like I'm not going to push my beliefs and my heritage on my children. Right. And actually, if you go back even farther to proto-feminism, they're right up in there during the reign of terror, like they're mm. with the French Revolution. Like, they never have good bedfellows. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Anthony says, I could never give up my life of freedom meaning her single unmarried life to be a man's housekeeper. Like she's just saying being a wife is being nothing more than domestic help. So this is 
these are the people, these are the first waivers who are dripping with condescension towards domesticity. Um, there's so much resentment about having to bear children and being bound to it. There's all this language of oppression because you're stuck with them. So this is from the this is from the get-go. Mm. And then you actually have Margaret Sanger is is in the first wave. So she is born um when uh Susan Susan B. Anthony is in her 70s. Um and Sanger is Sanger is doing her work to to find the magic pill to erase pregnancy. So she's working on uh, contraceptives and she's opening her first clinic in 1916, which that clinic then becomes the um, that becomes Planned Parenthood. Um, was that was that a clinic that provided abortions? I'm not actually sure on that. Mm. Um she was all about contraceptive, but she was for abortion. Right. Because she was also um, for um, sterilizing the unfit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, she was she was a eugenicist. Yeah. She was a she was a raging racist. Right. And she's a eugenicist when eugenics was not just a theory anymore. She's a eugenicist right. during World War II when it's being carried out mm. in real life. So it wasn't like a nice theoretical clean kind of thing. It was like she mm. was for this while the Nazis were doing their work, which is interesting. That's, uh, again, something about the company you keep <laughs> and all that. Yeah, the, the people you uh, the people you find yourself in agreement with. So Sanger is in her 40s when um, women won the right to vote. So uh, Anthony and Sta um, Stanton did not actually live to see that accomplished. Mm. But Sanger was in her 40s. Her work was well underway when the right, uh, the right to vote was won. So you cannot, you cannot separate out contraceptives and abortion and freeing women from their fertility, you can't take that out of the first wave. So this idea that women should be free to vote differently than their husbands, free to vote against their husbands so that they can outlaw alcohol, um, this is right... You know, this is a step before saying, and they should also be free to get, to have control over their pregnancies, to get pregnant only when they want to. And this is because, you know, they're, they're angry with their husbands about how they vote. They're angry that the men are allowed to go out and are, um, you know, free to, um, be promiscuous, dress how they want, do what they want in their free time. They are not bound to children in the same way. Obviously, a husband would have that responsibility, and culturally that was always the case. Mm -hmm. But um, they they see it as unfair that men could actually go out and impregnate many women, 
make many children and they would not be stuck at home to nurse them, right? And uh, if you take away if you take away the the commitment of marriage, men can walk away and mm-hmm. women can't. So they see this as unfair. Yeah. And it's this weird, they're allowed to do that. We don't like it. It's bad for us. We want to be able to do it too. Yeah. Um, so this, this goes back to the idea that, you know, they're not, they're not reading their Bibles properly. Um, because we know from scripture that just because a man does not get pregnant, um, does not mean that he is free to do these things and act however he wants. He actually does have a responsibility before his creator, and we believe that he will answer for his actions. So there's an impatience. They're not going to wait on God. They're going to take it into their own hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's the whole, the whole thing. Like You mentioned that uh, oh, men, men can misbehave women like instead of saying let's get men behaving better let's it's let's you know scientifically work it out so that women can misbehave as well like this is the it's riddled with envy this is not mm-hmm. this is not a godly impulse no not at all and this is when i say there's this underlying selfishness this self-serving, self-glorifying, self-protecting impulse from the very beginning. That's it, right? Like I want to be able to do that too. Mm-hmm. So you uh, you mentioned earlier just in passing the uh, some of the connections with critical theory and the Frankfurt School. And there there were no high-profile women as members of the Frankfurt School, but you're saying that there there is sort of significant overlap of ideas and assumptions between feminism, uh, which has even uh, earlier, deeper roots, as you mentioned, and ideas and philosophies like critical theory. I just uh, I want you to uh, draw a uh, draw a darker line between those two things. Yeah, so I think uh, what we see in every wave of feminism is this this need to fight for the oppressed, right? So all of those ideas of you know victimhood and needing a voice, you get that early on, and then with every wave, they have something that they're they're fighting for. Um, you know, for it's not happy unless they're in a fight. Yeah, seems that way. Um, and and there is even actually um, by the third wave, they're explicitly um, they they are they're doing they're putting out calls to anger. Like there's this anger that's just always there. These mm. are angry, angry people. So early on, you get this thing you've. You, you get this line where, you know, feminism is the radical idea that women are equal to men. But actually, right. yeah. very early on, you discover that they are not looking for equality, 
they are looking for um, superiority. So it doesn't take very long until um, you get, you know, so second wave, so 1960s to 80s. The first wave is quite long, Hmm. um, which is why you have so many notable people and there's all of this going on. And then you've got World War II, which kind of seems to set them back a step because you've got, you know, end of the war, you've got the 1950s and you've got this, um, you know, picture perfect family. Uh, the women are back at home. We've just yep. had this big industrial boom. around her head. Yeah, the and whole, you've got the whole picture. Yeah, and and they're all they're all well made up and have very tiny waists in the pictures. Um, you know, they're supposed to they're supposed to look good. They're supposed to uh, run their home. Life is supposed to be easier and better because you have um, better living through science. Um, so it seems like this this trajectory that started with the proto-feminists gets kind of backtracked a second. But it turns out that those 1950s housewives were actually bored and depressed and miserable because all of the meaningful work of running a home um, got so much easier that they had nothing left to do. The kids have been shipped off to government schools um, you're having fewer children because now there are count- contraceptives available. Um, and, you know, you've got microwave dinners, you've got microwaves, you've mm. got labor-saving devices, you have washing machines. I We, we watched a documentary last year, and uh, one of the historians is saying, like, you know, showing you this this first washing machine, and she's like, the washing machine is a symbol of women's lib. Like this right. is this yeah. is the symbol of liberation because women no longer have to spend hours a week mm-hmm. scrubbing with their bare hands yeah. the clothing of their household, right? So they get it, yeah. right? The <laughs> yeah. secularists get it. Yeah, always. Um, they see it. They know. They know that microwave dinners and everything canned that you can buy from the store. This means women no longer have to keep gardens to feed their families through the winters. They don't have to can to survive um but they're not doing anything else with their time either they're not like oh look i no longer have to scrub floors i've got this fancy new mop i can then go turn a profit on that free time instead they're sitting uh at home taking you know tranquilizers um and pills what yeah, there, there's, there's, um, um, tranquilized. So there, and, and some of the literature, it says something like you can take it, you know, when you need to take a tranquilizer, like a cough drop to just help you get through a boring day, like they're taking mother's little helpers, like they're, they're, huh. they're taking prescribed medications to help with anxieties and nerves because they're not doing well. They're not happy. And this is something that, and they're like because they're idle. Because they're, they're idle. Yeah. We were made to work. Mm. <laughs> Women were made to work. And it has nothing to do with where, you know, whether or not you're earning a paycheck. But women were also made to labor six days, mm-hmm. you know, and they're no longer doing that. So they're depressed and they're miserable. And it really was, you know, you need to stay home and look good. That was your job, which really is not 
not enough for mm-hmm. creatures made in God's image. So when Friedan comes on the scene and writes the feminine mystique, it had it had an audience um, because there were all of these bored, depressed, unhappy people. Um, so it it fell on a, a a rapt audience, right? So her solution is to get out and get into the into the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so women are then doing that. they're they're fighting for their right to work, you know, because doing things at home for your family is degrading, but doing the same things for somebody else in an office for a paycheck is very meaningful is basically the the trade-off right right um you gotta serve somebody right (laughs) right and if you're getting a paycheck because you're doing it for some other guy than your husband that's where true meaning lies Hmm. um but early on you have you have these organizations um they're always they're always getting in uh with you know so I can't even remember the names of them. There's all these different like government organizations that they're involved with. And, but they actually, the language that is used is um, things like give priority to hiring women. So yeah. different, we've different gone, forms of affirmative action. Right. So you get in almost, you know, we've, we've gone from like, we just want to be equal to give priority to women. Yeah. Right. So um, because there's a there's an injustice that we need to right in this lifetime. Because that's we, right. We can't wait on God to remedy any injustice. That's or right. Or define justice. So right from you know f- we're already seeing this equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity and this idea of the zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Women should be able, you know, ignoring the fact that most women will at some point, if they, you know, how many little girls want to be mothers? It's a very natural and good instinct that we are born with. And uh, we don't see that the same way now because feminism has been so successful. Um, So girls are supposed to want to work for NASA and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But um you know, it is a normal, God-given desire for women to want to have children. And most little girls have it. And maybe it goes away, you know, in the university years. Um, but even the world, even secular women, after they are well-established in their careers, want families. Women want to have children so we want to have this ability on our terms yeah and what we have now is you know women who have used hormonal birth controls um so that they could pursue a career only to decide down the road that actually no now i want a kid but i've you know ruined my my body with these crazy um these crazy unnatural birth control um, hormones. So now I'm infertile. And so now the government has to pay for my 
um, in vitro or whatever, or sper- or I'm going to find a sperm donor or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have children way later in life. Mm-hmm. But just the idea that women want, they want the workplace, they want to have that um, equality of outcome. They want to have the careers as well, but God has given them different bodies. And it, it he designed it so that women... Um, you know, often have an easier time if they have children early on, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not they they're demanding they're demanding that you know equal pay and all of these things, um, or they're saying they want those things, but actually they want priority to be given to women so that they can have an equal outcome. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. want they want the what's the analogy? Um, they want the game rigged so that they can win too in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then there's also present this the idea of the zero-sum game that um, there's only so much power to go around. There's only so much wealth. There's only so much of any of the good things in life. And I want the good things. So that means for me to get it, the men have to lose. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's important... I think to uh, to mention here, you just mentioned the men. All of the all of these things have happened, men, on our watch because we let it, because in some measure we wanted it, because it's it is the natural temptation of men. We see this in uh, in the Garden of Eden and so on ever since to be to uh, to abdicate responsibility. I, I can very easily imagine that uh, you know, things like birth control pills became mainstream. How how many men were like, "Hey, all right, now we can have a one night stand," and I don't even have the feeling of guilt that you might be saddled with a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um, I've heard it. I've heard it said that. Um, you know, women are the biggest um, losers in feminism. Because totally, something that's you know, we've got you know this desire to fight all the way through. By the time you have third and fourth wave feminism, it's really unclear what we're fighting for anymore. Mm-hmm. There's already you know earlier even than third and fourth wave wem- feminism, you've got this infighting this eating each other because we actually aren't agreed but there's this huge unintended consequence like if if it weren't for feminism we would not have trans men beating up women in the wrestling thingy (laughs) (laughs) joe joe was talking about this just last week there there was this uh this long opinion piece in the in the telegraph about uh, the title was something like how like the sexual revolution has backfired Mm -hmm. yeah it really like Friedan is pointing out you know women aren't happy they're they're taking drugs they're you know they're bored they're lonely the solution is to go to work um and that's where we're going to find meaning and then if you actually look like so did it work are more women in the workplace well, yeah, that's 
you know, undeniable. Loads of women are in the workplace. Actually, there are more female students in universities these days than mm-hmm. there are male students. Um, it is undeniable that women are having fewer children. And that was, you know, it's like, get out and work, have fewer children. But are women actually happier? Like, did it work? You know, and that's that's a really hard thing to measure. But actually, antidepressants have not gone down. They've gone up. Right. Um, you wouldn't have this demand for fertility treatments that are just, you know, everybody has a fertility problem now. And it's like, well, why do you think that is? Right. You know, you wouldn't have older women, you know, first time mothers in their 40s um, if it if it were working like they still you didn't they didn't erase the desire for children. They just put it off until it's now very difficult right and it's it's that thing you know they're demanding that it used to be that um women on a college campus had a curfew and the men didn't hmm. so they demanded that they were treated equally and they also well what happens when now the men and the women can both be out to all hours in each other's rooms well now we have unintended pregnancies but also rape and now we need the me too movement and there's this huge rape culture like you know so they demand something that is against how god designed it to be turns out when you do things against the way god intended it to be it goes badly and then they clamor and scream like fix it so they have to come up with something else to fix the problem that they created by their disobedience and their rejection of God's way. Yeah. So just uh, just maybe quickly to sum up, to, to put a bow on this conversation for the time being, uh, walk us through God's way for women. Uh, su- summarize, give a, uh, give a quick overview of some of the, uh, some of the things that we need to, that we need to reject some of the assumptions, some of the uh, maybe the the unconscious uh, biases that we've we've absorbed, and some of the things that we could we could consciously do to uh, to right the ship a little bit. Yeah. So we we want to look at, um, of course, we always want to go to scripture to to find our marching orders and um, biblical femininity or biblical womanhood or whatever you want to call it, obedience to Christ as a woman looks like, um, you know, it, it certainly isn't the 50s housewife or, you know, an older Jane Austen version. Um, it is women who know their creator, they know his voice, and they know what he would have them do. And we, the the commands and exhortations in scripture are given to the people of God, including the women. And then there are, there are instructions that are given specifically to women. So we see women um, told to uh, be into husbands and children. The older women are to teach the younger women to be in 
to husbands and children. They're told to be keepers at home. So this means that, well, biblical femininity is more than just domesticity. It's not less. There is a, an right. element of right. taking dominion at home. The dominion mandate is given to to men and women together. And then and then he turns to the women and say and says, and you manage at home, meaning that the home is part of taking dominion. It's part of the kingdom work. And it's the, you know, it's the the husband and wife back to back. He's outward facing, she's inward facing. This is a big job. Um, and we need we need the home to be well managed. So this is not um, you know, thawing your microwave dinner and getting it ready on time and making sure your makeup is perfect um, and that the kids have clean shirts on. Like this is this is turning a profit with what you've been given. It's showing hospitality to your family. It's showing hospitality to the stranger um, and, and to the church. Um, it's having children. It's being fruitful in bearing children, but it's being fruitful in every other part of your life as well. And something we see over and over again in scripture is that Christian women are uh, glorifiers. Women glorify things. We actually see this in the world as well. We can't, we can't actually totally throw off our, our God given, uh, nature. Women were made to glorify. So we are, we're called the glory of the glory. Um, and that is, that's an intensifier. It's not a, it's not a step down. It's a, it's a step up. So man is the glory of God. Woman is the glory of man. So it's the crown on top of the glory. It's, it's something even brighter and shinier. Um, so we are the glory, but we also are to glorify. Um, so that means, you know, when I think of, um, you know, something in its glory, we use that phrase like, oh, that's, he's just in his glory. He's doing the thing that he was just made to do. Um, and I think of our little boys, like a little boy in his glory is definitely muddy yeah, totally. and has sticks or rocks and probably isn't wearing a shirt, and there's probably an animal in a cage somewhere. Like, th that's a little boy in his glory, right? He's doing the things that little boys are made to do. So when I think of a woman being a glorifier, that means a woman is supposed to be helping her people be in their glory. She's helping her little boys turn into men, who are doing what they're supposed to do. She's helping her daughters turn into women doing what they're supposed to do. Um, she's she's making her house. There's a this element of beautifying, glorifying. There's also beautifying, right? Those go together. Um, and uh, so there's, it's just a, it's a much longer conversation, but that's sort of a very quick summary of biblical femininity. It is certainly not thoughtless it is it is reading scripture it is knowing it and being able to give wide counsel um 
women are supposed to be able to teach. They're supposed to be able to teach other women and children, which is a glorious calling. Um, so it's, it's, there are so many areas and there's this creative undertone to all of it. We are creators. We create people, you know, we are co-creators with Christ. So we are to create people. We are to create beauty. We are to be fruitful in everything we touch. Um, and the temptation for women is to, you know, we, we give in to the eye rolling and we, um, you know, we, we talk about our kids and we, we make jokes about how we can't wait for them to go back to school. And we, we talk about our husband being the head of the house, but everybody knows we're actually in charge. Like we, that we, we, even those of us who are at home um, feel the need to, um, you know, list our credentials before we we talk about this. Like, yes, you know, being a mother is good, and I can say that because I've got this university degree, so I've been out in the world. So, you know, like we mm. we want to, you know, just being a wife and mother is not enough of a um, – qualification to say no feminism is stupid and this is glorious like we have to be out in the business world before we're allowed to to criticize it or something we mm. we give into that like we actually many um you know far right uh conservatives would agree with feminists that you know the work of the home is for the simple minded the difference is that Feminists are bad about that, and the far right is like, yeah, that's good. We're good with that. Hmm. Like, you hmm. know, like, well, she doesn't need to go to university because she's just gonna stay at home and make pie, right? Like that kind of thing, right? So we need to not, we need to make sure we're not uh, overcorrecting um, in that direction either, which is probably not a, a huge temptation for your audience, <laughs> but that is definitely an overcorrection that has been made. We, I think we're more prone to, to the eye rolling, sarcasm, joking, you know, we complain, we go to, we go to the church nursery and we tell, you know, funny stories about our husbands and kids that are actually super disrespectful. Um, right. right. We also do this thing where we think it's totally acceptable for, uh, young Christian couples to put off having children for an indefinite number of years for yeah. no other reason than they want to make money and get established. Like we really think that there's this time that has to go by before you're somehow then qualified to be parents, um, which that's just straight from feminism, the idea that you should you sh you should get to decide about that kind of thing and yeah yeah um there's a there's a whole other podcast there and um all the little ways that we we secretly enjoy our inner feminist yeah well that was actually my line that uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's it sounds like there's a whole other show that uh, that we could record on that theme of the home specifically and it is a, it is a joy to have you glorifying and beautifying my home, and it's been a real 
treat to have you on the show here today. For all of you listening, uh, there are still tickets available for the Mission of God West Conference in Edmonton happening June 18th. The Runner Academy is underway right now. Uh, you can track with us on uh, on social media to see photo updates and highlights of that uh, from the team in Golden, British Columbia. And from all of us here at the Ezra Institute, thank you to Rachel. I appreciate you being here today. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation. We remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. God be the glory, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next week.